the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Plumb Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H.com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and on the broadcast today, I continue my visit with Patrick Miller as we discuss the metaverse from a biblical worldview. You can reach me anytime at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Plum is P-L-U-M-B, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Stay tuned. Support for The Plum Line is provided by these fine business sponsors. Abundant Life Landscape, your irrigation repair specialist. Call them at 619-277-2410. And by Charles McLucas, Jr., founder and CEO of Charitable Trust Administrators, Inc. Learn about the benefits of a charitable remainder trust at ctai-ca.com. Thanks for tuning in to The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, my guest is Patrick Miller, pastor of Digital Ministries with The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. And we're talking about the metaverse and looking at it, of course, from a biblical worldview. As The Plum Line examines a different issue or topic from a biblical perspective and seeks to rightly divide the word of truth in every one of our broadcasts and Patrick, I want to move a little bit into some of the different scriptures that really apply to this whole discussion. But as we do that, I realize we haven't utilized all the examples that you brought up in the article. And so maybe for those who are just tuning in here and are unfamiliar with just what the metaverse is, share with us, if you would, another example of the metaverse from your article there. One of the things that will happen in the metaverse is uh, that people will be able to project themselves digitally into someone else's room. So we talked earlier about AR glasses, alternate reality glasses, and the idea being I can put on my glasses and then my coworker who works remotely, she could put on her glasses and then she'd be projected in my room, I'd be projected into her room. And people say, well, how would that work? I mean, would you be able to see your face move? Like, how does that all go? And again, people don't realize this technology already exists. If you have an iPhone right now, your iPhone has facial recognition software built into it. It uses infrared to analyze, get this, 30,000 different points on your face. That little camera is, is using infrared, 30,000 different po- points. And this is why if you've ever played with, they have them called uh, emojis or emojis. They're these little uh, graphics that kind of mimic what you're doing on your face. Well, that's how the metaverse will work as well. It might not even be your actual presence. It might be a digital version of you or a little avatar that you've created, but it can mimic your facial expressions which of course helps with communication. It can mimic your body motions and it could project it into someone else's space. And again, this is the idea of the metaverse, the ability to kind of be anywhere or be everywhere that you want to personally be. Another example of this is what's called haptic technology. So this is built into, for example, modern day game controllers. You might feel a rumbling in your hand. What haptics do is they actually mimic human touch. 
And so again, you could wear haptic gloves that would allow you to, let's say you have a digital screen. It's not real. It's just all this digital interface and you touch something on that screen. Well, your glove would make it feel like you actually touched that thing on the screen. Or maybe you give someone a high five or a handshake. The glove would make it feel like you got a real high five and a real handshake. And so it's not just that this is something that you're going to view with your eyes. This is something that people will be able to experience with their bodies. And there's already movies that have come up about this, and I don't want to get into maybe some of the darker ends of where this could go, but people will be able to create physical experiences even inside of the metaverse. As I listen to this and think about it, I can certainly see some concerns coming up. One of those is that this is so intriguing and so engaging that people would just, in essence, want to be, as I'm looking at a website here, this is the way they phrase it. They say that you might want to be lost forever in there. That's probably a realistic concern. Yeah, I do think it's a realistic concern. And again, there have been movies that explore some of these ideas. One film that explores it is exactly that. There's a digital technology called the Oasis. And inside of the Oasis, you're able to be who you want. You're able to do what you want. And the world is kind of this dystopian world where people are living most of their lives with VR goggles and haptic suits. Rather than going across the street to meet with someone and have embodied community, they're choosing to live their lives in a digital space. And again, I think part of the appeal is that digital technology allows us to express ourselves. It allows us to create ourselves. You know, and so you think about how the Bible, I think it's in Second uh, Timothy 2, but it talks about how as the end approaches, people are going to get more self-absorbed. Well, of course, we are a very narcissistic nation, but there's nothing more self-absorbed than the ability to create yourself, project yourself, and make yourself into whatever you want to be, not who God made you to be in a digital space. I mean, how do you resist that temptation? I think it's incredibly challenging. Yeah, and that's the exact section that I had up here is actually Second Timothy chapter 3. Right at the beginning of the chapter, mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and so on. There's a very, very lengthy list. Those who are familiar with that, there's a good 20 descriptions of what people will be like in these last days, and we're living in the last days, and so we're seeing a lot of these things, and I see the potential that the metaverse is only going to increase these types of behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you think of a better description of social media as it stands <laughs> in the metaverse yeah. than boastful, proud, and abusive? Social media is kind of like this meteorite that hit the earth and blew up, and we weren't emotionally prepared. We weren't mentally prepared for how it was going to change us. And so it's no shocker that at least in this early era of social media, it's characterized by outrage, it's characterized by slander, it's characterized by anger and abusive and, and mean language. And it doesn't seem like that's going to end. And I can imagine that in the metaverse, this kind of thing will continue. I mean, so some of the early VR worlds that have already been created, this is already happening. There was someone who filed, I think, a lawsuit against one VR world creator because they were being sexually assaulted inside of the VR. Now, I, I don't quite know what that means. What they were saying was that people were doing, you know, rude, crude, abusive things to their VR avatar that made them feel really uncomfortable. And so it's not hard to imagine that even in these VR spaces, we're going to use them to wreak havoc on each other's lives, to make fun of each other, to hurt each other. That's going to be the same temptation there as it is in this world. The only difference is when I'm an embodied community, to sit across a table from someone and be unkind, mean, abusive. To do that is much more difficult than to do it to an avatar where I don't have to look into someone's face, where I don't have to deal with the consequences of the community that I've hurt as a result of my sin. I think it actually elevates, escalates, turns up the volume on some of those really destructive human behaviors. 
Mm, yeah. It seems to me there could be a real safety concern besides the virtual safety concern because you might be connecting with someone in this virtual reality world or this augmented reality, just like it happens with traffickers when they'll reach out and connect over the phone or over the internet. If you're a 12-year-old girl or something, you think you're communicating with another 12-year-old girl and you're not. That same thing can happen in this metaverse community, right? Oh, it absolutely can happen. I, I'm a millennial, so I, I remember a world without the internet. Not much of a world without the internet. But I remember when chat opened up, when you could have chat messages with people. And my parents, I'm very happy for this. They sat me down and they said, hey, you have to know that if, if you're chatting with someone online, you don't know who that person is. They might tell you that this is who they are, but that's not who they really are. And so they put some healthy boundaries. And so for that reason, you're not going to be chatting with people online. <laughs> and I appreciate that because there were children who were taken on some terrible experiences as a result of people trying to elicit lewd photos and other things using these chat technologies. Now, the same thing applies inside the metaverse, all those same temptations, but it does get leveled up in one interesting way. And that's because of the way artificial intelligence can be looped into this. Right now, a lot of people are meeting each other on dating apps, for example. And so they'll begin their relationship just texting via that dating app to one another. But how do you know that what that person's texting you is what they wrote and not what an AI wrote? How do you know that it's a real person giving you their real thoughts? Or are they using AI to say, hey, you know, make this girl or this guy be interested in me, R respond in a way that's witty and funny? It's not even you. It's a computer that's doing it. Once you interface that with the metaverse and, and an AI is able to control your avatar, it's already possible. AI can replicate your voice. It can replicate your physical image. And AI is now speaking for you, making you sound smarter than you are, making you sound wittier than you are, making you sound nicer than you are. You can create an entirely fake version of yourself that draws people in to be interested in you that, of course, could then translate into a real-world relationship that's really unhealthy. Right. A couple more things that I want to bring up uh, about this that are concerns, and then I'm just thinking here, this is getting pretty heavy, and obviously there are a lot of concerns that we need to cover, but maybe we can spend most of the last segment talking about how this can be used for good, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I know that's your heart, and that certainly is my heart as well, so we'll focus on that. Stick around here if you're getting weighted down with all the concerns, because we'll get into some of the good in the last segment, but something else that I hadn't really thought about at all is this reality that as the metaverse comes to be, and you said, you know, it's really hasn't come to fruition yet even, but assuming that it does, it's going to be, I'm sure, very, very expensive. And there's another site that brings up an increase in isolation between the haves and the have-nots, huh? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a major concern. I mean, we're already seeing that there is a growing divide between the hyper-wealthy, the wealthy, and those who live in poverty. And that's true across the West right now. And so what happens when getting a well-paying white-collar job requires you to have access to some of this very expensive technology? Well, if you don't have the technology, can you get the job? Does that mean that you're going to be relegated to lower-paying work? And that's a serious question that we'd have to ask. On the other side, if much of our life begins to take place in this space, even if it's church life that's taking place inside this space, well, now all of a sudden, if your small group is meeting inside of the metaverse and you've got people in your church who can't afford to be in the metaverse, we're breaking James' command. We're putting the rich before the poor. We're creating systems that only allow a certain subset of people to participate. On the other side of things, we have to be really serious. The metaverse is going to change the landscape of jobs and the market the same way that mechanization did. Um, lots of blue-collar workers lost well-paying jobs in the car industry and other manufacturing industries because of the introduction of robotics. And the same thing could happen with AI, although in the metaverse, ironically, it might actually have more of an impact on kind of middle-class jobs, those 
middle-class thought-working jobs, white-collar jobs even. And so there's going to be people who are out of work, who develop skills like engineering, programming, and even writing that AI and the metaverse is going to be able to do better than a human is able to do. And now all of a sudden, you're going to have people whose job isn't to be creative and engineer new bridges. Instead, their job is going to be managing the AI that's working inside of the metaverse that's designing those things. So, so there's some big changes coming that we should take really seriously when we think about our location and wealth and poverty. Hmm. Let's say someone's tuning in that is just really interested in this subject here, and they're just kind of flipping through the radio dial. And I'll make a statement that I found on the site that I'm looking at right now. It's ulaif.com, the word ulaif.com. So I want to make sure I give them credit because they say this at the end of this article, what if Jesus Christ came as an avatar to die for you? Thankfully, he didn't. That's not the way he came. He came in the physical body to die for a physical man to spend eternity in a glorified physical body of its own. That's a simple, brief statement there that kind of sums up what I wanted to have you do at the end of this segment, and that is, for the one who maybe is just really intrigued by this, maybe they've really gotten into this full bore, and they're starting to reach the point where they're, like I said earlier, just so engaged in it that they wish they could live in this virtual reality or alternate reality world all the time. Well, there's a reason that you don't want to do that, and the reason is that Jesus Christ came for you. He died in a physical body for you, a physical person, to spend eternity with him in a glorified physical body. And so explain what that means and why someone would want to receive Jesus Christ, would want to believe this message that I just shared. Yeah, you know, isn't it interesting that that we could be drawn to a digital world? And I think it's because the digital world offers us a, a promise of utopia, a promise of the world the way it should be, where everything is beautiful and no one is hurt and nothing is wrong and broken. And we all have this innate desire in our hearts for that world, for a world where everything is set right, where relationships are whole and healthy, where we are quite literally living in a utopia. And that longing in our heart isn't there by accident. It's there because God put it there. He wants us to long for heaven. He wants us to long for resurrection and a resurrected world living alongside him. And that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came as a physical person to die for our sins so that we could be resurrected and live our eternal lives with him in that world that we long for. Don't settle for a digital world. We should long for the true uh, promise of heaven. and, And that's what God has made us for. Amen. And so tell us uh, in brief here what someone needs to do to accomplish that. Or I guess it would be better to say, because it's it's nothing that we do, what do they need to believe to accomplish having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah, if God is working in your heart right now, I would pause and I would pray and I would lay before God the problem of your personal sin, that you have rebelled against him, that you've chosen to live in a way that he hasn't called you to live, and that that's wrought destruction on your personal life and the lives of people around you. But then know this good news, that when you pray and ask forgiveness, he forgives through Jesus' death. Your sins are forgiven. And if you receive that forgiveness in your heart and ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, he will be your Lord and Savior, and he will take you into the next life. And if that is something that you hear that and you think, I don't believe that I've done that, I haven't committed my life to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. It's is something that, as I said, nothing that you have to do. You can't work or try to earn your salvation. Salvation is granted freely. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, but by grace through faith. 
And so the grace of God saves us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in him and what he did uh, for us on the cross in dying, being crucified for our sin, and then being raised from the dead, victorious over sin, and granting us forgiveness for those sins that we have committed. And so if this is a message that is maybe uh, starting to ring true with you, reach out to me via that email address that I've been sharing here and let me know. Maybe you received Jesus Christ right now. Maybe you need to hear a little bit more to understand this better. I'd be glad to get together with you and discuss this in more detail. That email address is theplumlineradio at gmail.com, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. You're tuned in to The Plum Line, and you can find past editions again at places where you go for podcasts. Just put in The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph. Hope you'll reach out to me and stay tuned. We've got one final segment to come on our discussion about the metaverse and how we can use it for good as it develops anyway, how we can eventually use it for good and how we're using this digital world we live in for good and the spread of the gospel. That email address is theplumlineradio at gmail.com. When it comes to education for your student, Northwest Christian School believes that trusted truth transforms. With that in mind, they developed their fully online Christian school, NCS Online, for your kindergarten through ninth grade student. NCS Online curriculum has been developed in-house by experienced Christian educators and is infused with a biblical worldview. NCS Online provides a rigorous, affordable, customizable online education in an established Christian community and culture. Visit ncsonline.org to learn more or contact their admissions team at 602-978-5134. You're tuned in to The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast, my guest is Patrick Miller, pastor of Digital Ministries at The Crossing in Columbia, Missouri. We talked right at the beginning here about the fact that this position, even that he has, pastor of Digital Ministries, is one that would be completely unknown about 20 years ago or less even. And now, though, you find several churches that have pastors of Digital Ministries, and sometimes they're just dealing probably with the technology within the church. In your case, uh, Patrick, though, it's really focused on uh, discipleship and on using the various digital components here, the technology, to uh, harness it for the gospel. And we want to spend... A good portion of time here in this last segment addressing that because I think a lot of times we kind of beat up on the technology a bit because there are some real legitimate concerns and some very grave concerns, in fact, and we've addressed those. But at the same time, we have to realize that this technology is going to continue advancing. There's really nothing that we can do to stop it. And so the best thing, I think, the best strategy is, yes, to warn about the dangers with it, but also to do the best that we can by God's grace and, and his power to harness it for building the kingdom of God, right? Yeah, you know what I would argue for when it comes to technology and churches is sober, steady engagement. And, and I like what you said just a moment ago. We don't have the power to change this. We don't get to choose what world we live in. In the book of Acts, it talks about how David was faithful in his generation. And so I didn't get to choose when I was born. I, I wasn't born in the 1950s. I wasn't born in 1900. I wasn't born in 1600. I was born in this era for this time. And the question is, how can we be in this moment faithful in our generation and the technology of our generation? Now, I, I think one thing that's really important to note is that sometimes when we get into this debate about churches and technology, we, we miss a very simple fact. Technology has already impacted the church and has always been impacting the church. If you're using a Bible right now, that's a technology, that, that little book. 
the early church didn't have books. It wasn't until the fourth century that we have codices where we could actually have books. The fact that you're using your own copy of the Bible shows that you live downstream from a different technology. The printing press, which allows us to mass-produce Bibles. If you use a hymnal, I don't know if people know this, but hymnals are a relatively new technology. It used to be that when people were at church, they memorized all the songs. And there were some good things about that, because when you sang, you could look upward, you could look around, you, your head wasn't buried in a book. Or maybe these days, if you have a projector at your church, your head wasn't pointed at the projector screen, reading text off a screen. Uh, if you have sound implication in your church, you have technology. But maybe no technology has changed the modern church as much as vehicles have. Henry Ford radically changed how we do church because before the car, you didn't ask which church am I going to go to? Well, you did. You just said, am I going to go to the Baptist church, the Lutheran church, the Methodist church around the corner because you couldn't drive to another place. But the minute you gave people vehicles, they were allowed to be consumers of church because they could choose the church that had the best services or the best preaching or the best children's ministry. And now we're seeing churches are, are kind of having to treat their ministries like a cheesecake factory where they're trying to show, hey, we've got all of these wonderful options for you. And so I just want to start by saying the question of technology in the church, it needs to begin by acknowledging the fact that whatever church you go to, it doesn't matter how stripped back the service is, there's technology present there that wasn't there in the first century. And that technology has changed how you're doing church. Amen. Exactly. All right. And so how do we harness that technology? Maybe you have some examples from how you do it at the crossing there of how do you guys utilize this uh, digital world, the technology that we have all around us to grow the kingdom of God? Yeah, this is a great question. And it would take a whole other segment to get in all the ways that we're doing this. But <laughs> let me just say a few things. We use a, a lot of data and we use a lot of online strategies to reach people. Here's a very simple example. Right now, America is going through the largest religious shift in its entire history. 45 million people have de-churched in the last 25 years. There's people who used to go to church, they aren't going anymore, and they are not walking with Jesus anymore in, in their lives. And so one of the big questions we have right now is how do we get de-churched people back in the church? And I believe that the internet is a significant on-ramp that we can help people move from being de-churched back to coming in church. Because as it turns out, most de-churched people are still open to coming back. And that's exactly what we've done. We've used very simple online strategies, email newsletters, email devotionals, and podcasts to reach people who are de-churched in our local community. We're reaching them online. We're using advertising to reach them online. We're using social media posts to reach them online, but we're reaching de-churched people. And what we've discovered is that of all the new contacts that we bring into our system, 10% of those people will show up in person within the next year. And so if we can gather 300 new contacts with 30 new people in church, or this year, I think we gathered something close to 9,000 new contacts, that, that equaled about 900 new people coming into local churches in our area as a result of our efforts. And that's because we met them where they were. They didn't want to come to church. They were never going to step foot back in a church on their own, but they would. They were interested in God. They would read a devotional. They would engage with content. And as they were reading it, God was stirring in their heart. And we were using the content to slowly, over time, invite them to take the next step and come in person, you know, and sit and be a part of an actual worship service and become integrated into our community. Right. And you think of the average person out there, a lot of people utilize, whether it's Facebook or now Meta, as you said, and so they have an opportunity to just kind of sprinkle things in there. You don't have to be brash or, you know, out front necessarily. You can just sprinkle in little things and that builds up some curiosity, maybe, or inquisitiveness in those who see your posts, huh? Yeah, I think that's a great strategy. I mean, if you're not a church leader, 
you know, I think church leaders should ask the question, how can we as a church strategically use technology to reach people? But if you're a member of a church or you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, how do I do this? Well, I think what you just said hit the nail on the head. You should not live your entire life online. But evangelistically, I think many of us are called to live part of our lives online. And how we live our lives online really matters. When we speak online, are we following Jesus' command? Are, are we loving our enemies? You know, are we blessing those who persecute us? Are, are we speaking angry words of unkindness? Are we spreading, you know, angry information that is just feeding this fire of outrage in our culture? When we're online, are we sharing content that points people towards Jesus? Or are we sharing content from our favorite news outlet, whatever that is, that is just going to be a part of this big culture war that's happening? Your presence online is going to be a reflection for real life people. It's going to be a reflection of who Jesus is. And so if we can faithfully reflect him, I think we will begin to attract them online to be a part of in-person communities. Yeah, amen. Well, we have just a couple minutes left here, and I usually like to sum up the program by allowing the guests to do the summing up for me. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, what you think is most important. If you were someone coming to this program and tuning in, maybe not knowing a thing about the metaverse, what do you want people to come away with from this? Well, the first thing is that the metaverse isn't in the present. It's something in the future. It's being built in the present. Components of it are in the present, but it doesn't exist yet. And so we're not talking about how do we engage the metaverse today. We're saying how do we prepare for the metaverse in the future? And there's no better way to prepare for it than by being the kind of Christian who is involved in embodied community. You should be the kind of Christian who is, you know, in small groups, spending time with other people, giving generously, helping those who are in need. And the reason why is that as the world begins to move more and more digital, you want to make sure that your life and your church is one of the rare places where embodied community can happen, where people are accepted for who they are, not who they project themselves to be digitally. You can start creating those spaces right now in your community, in your church. And if you do it right now, it's going to be there when the metaverse comes around. And I will tell you what, when more and more people are living their lives online, they're going to become more and more desperate to meet in-person communities that share the love of Jesus with them. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. Did a fantastic job of conveying this in an understandable way for any range of listener here. So I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. Patrick Miller, my guest, pastor of Digital Ministries with The Crossing of Columbia, Missouri, on the Plum Line. And I hope you appreciated this edition. You can reach out to me and share your thoughts at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on the Plum Line. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.